Welcome to Concord Matters, a show seeking for concord, agreement in Christian confession. Concord mattered to Jesus and Paul, and so it does to us also. Spend these next 60 minutes as we talk matters of Concord. Concord Matters, a program produced by the Christ-Centered Leader in Confessional Broadcasting, Worldwide KFUO, online at kfuo.org. And welcome to Concord Matters, the show where we seek to be of one mind, that is, the mind of Christ, and to do that, a couple of Christ-confessing Concordians confer with the Book of Concord to conform what we believe, teach, and confess according to Scripture in our Lutheran Confession of the Faith. On today's show, we're going to discuss why Concord matters for kids in the divine service. I'm your host, Pastor Sean Smith, pastor of the Evangelical Lutheran Dual Parish of Emmanuel West Point in St. Paul's Wine Hill in Southern Illinois. And my companion confessor in conversation about this matter today is Pastor Chris Toma. He is senior pastor at Our Savior Heartland, Michigan. Pastor Toma, welcome to Concord Matters. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a great pleasure to have you on. And also for the benefit of our listeners, you're also the author of bulletin inserts called Kids in the Divine Service, where we're getting kind of the title of our episode here today that were first done in 2000 and then updated later to add things to it and bring it in with the Lutheran service book. And that's something that I use in my dual parish for training our children to be active participants in the divine service, in the life and liturgy of the church as we gather together on Sunday. And that's something that I have found very important in my pastoral ministry. And so first of all, thank you for your work on that. It's a great blessing as we work to train our children here in Southern Illinois in the dual parish that I serve. But also, as we begin to think about this episode today, we're following this progression where we talked about Concord Matters for the confessional family, Concord Matters for catechesis, and Concord Matters for Lutheran education. And I thought a next natural progression would be bringing all of those things together and kind of the main event, if you will, of training our children in what we do on Sunday mornings as being participants and growing up into being active participants in the life of the church itself. And yet at the same time, this may seem like a surprising topic as it relates to the confessions is it really a confessional matter or is it just kind of a pragmatic, practical matter of, yeah, we want children to participate in the service? What would you say to that, Pastor Toma? How does this relate to our confessions, to our confession of the faith? Well, the confessions, they talk about this sometimes in particular, but also I think they talk about it in passing or they make particular assumptions about this kind of work, how important it is to raise the generations in the Word of God, to raise them in right worship, to keep them connected in that sense, teach them the vernacular of faith. I mean, you can go in a lot of different places in the confessions, and uh, God willing, uh, most pastors will know uh, to do this anyway, to be looking, but, you know, places where they can actually go and see this type of teaching, the epitome of the formula, uh, Article 10 talks about how frivolity with things like adiaphora and the church's usual orders, that's to be avoided because it can actually harm the young, it can harm the weak in faith. And I think also maybe there in the epitome as well, the argument can be made that a clear confession, a demonstration of the gospel is a part of what's actually happening in the divine service. Yes, the Lord is coming to us and giving himself to us, making himself present in our midst and, and giving us by way of word and sacrament. 
But there's this demonstration, this teaching, this reality that's happening there. So I think the argument could be made from that perspective that you want a steady, regular crispness about it. And why? Again, not necessarily because it's engaging to visitors or something, but because it's teaching and it's preserving the vernacular of faith and, and the common doctrines among the believers. And again, you can go throughout the uh, confessions, uh, Augsburg Confession talks a lot about how worship, it's described as a time for teaching reverence, how it's a time for teaching devotion, as well as the value of the means of grace. The Apology, Article 28, I think goes further, communicates worship as actually a way to teach what's godly and what isn't, showing a distinction between the church and her identity and the, the world around us. The solid declaration speaks in terms of ceremonies of the community as being these beneficial tools for good order, for Christian discipline, for edification of God's people, for decorum. You could really just dig in in a lot of various places and find these teachings. Article 21, Augsburg makes it clear that we should never be doing anything, actually, in the Christian community that's passing along to our children some sort of a false understanding of God's Word and, and the Christian truth. So. You know, when you run into these kinds of portions, you recognize the importance that the confessions place on making sure uh, that we're doing this right, that we're teaching the children rightly, that we're bringing them up in this language. And of course, the confessions are a true exposition of God's Word. God's Word is jam-packed with all of this kind of stuff. Proverbs 22, you know, train up a child in the way you should go. Deuteronomy 6. This is written on your heart. Teach them diligently to your children. Walk, sit with them, talk with them. When you lie down, when you rise, you can go all throughout God's Word and see the importance of teaching these things. Yeah, and we've talked on the show before, too, especially when we went through taking a look at why Concord matters for the liturgy or for worship, and we highlighted there the well-known article on the Augsburg Confession, Article 24 of the Mass, where it specifically states right there in paragraph 3, for ceremonies are needed for this reason alone, that the uneducated be taught what they need to know about Christ. And we certainly would include children in that uneducated. You know, they're being formed, they're being shaped. And you've really brought out a lot there that I think really all connects into this. We are to teach the reverence, and this is really highlighted throughout the confessions. And, well, I guess my next question for you would be then, what benefit does that do for the church? Why would we want to train our children to be active participants in it? Because one of the things that I think that often comes up is that, you know, we think that we have to take our children out of the service at times. You even see that in some churches today where they'll take them out to children's church and they do something separate or, you know, we parents, and I think they're well-meaning, try to occupy their children with other things in the pew rather than teaching them to be a part of the service itself. So why is it important to train our children in this? What benefit does all of this have? Well, you're making some really great points. And these are things that, of course, pastors in the congregations hear all the time. You know, my kid can't sit still, or the service, you know, is too boring, or I'm not getting anything out of it, blah, blah, blah. And these are serious questions. These are things that we need to take time with. One, I guess I would start off by saying, we want to be careful not to impose upon the Word of God something that's foreign to it you know, bring something to it and say, it says something about children that's just not there. So first and foremost, to say that kids can't get it, that they can't get what's going on in the divine service is an imposition on the scriptures. That's just not true. And in fact, um, a very simple place you can maybe draw attention to is Matthew 18, you know, when the 
disciples are saying, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is it that the Lord calls into the midst of them? He calls a child and puts them there. Well, one, there are some assumptions that can be made about that text. Yes, we're to be a little bit more like them when it comes to believing these things, following along with these things. But also, the child was there. The child was in the midst of what the Lord was teaching at the time, and he needed only to reach over and draw the child in. He wasn't, the child wasn't taken off to a separate time with the Lord where the Lord taught them a special sermon, you know, or gave them a special sermon and then gave, you know, the rest of the kid or gave the rest of his uh, listeners something different. So you want to be careful not to impose upon children things that are completely foreign to them. Um, I'm thinking about the Christian community too from what it is that you're saying, Hippolytus and Augustine and guys like that are ones who talked about how it's very, very important for the Christian community when it comes to the survival of catechumens in a world trying to snatch them away from the Christian faith. And others have talked about this in history, but it is very important to keep the children connected to the full Christian community as a singular body in order to survive a hostile world. You know, the community needs to be working together to preserve the Christian teaching among the young. So again, one thing we don't want to be doing is dividing ourselves from the kids, pushing them off into this place or that place. And then, you know, this idea that the divine service is boring. You know, of course, I'll, I'll hear that question and I, I get it. I, I get what they mean. But on the other hand, I'm thinking inside myself, you know, well, heaven and earth coming together is boring. If you think that's boring, then you're probably boring. So... And if you really look at the divine service, kids like weird, and the divine service is weird in comparison to the world around them. Uh, they also like to know what's next. You know, if you sit down in a preschool class, I dare anyone to go and be a substitute teacher for a preschool teacher. I've done this before where I've had to sit in and, oh my goodness, that's a tough job. But the kids will make sure that you know what's coming next. And the divine service is sort of structured that way. There are regular portions to it that they know to expect. They're also the kind of uh, human beings that like to ask why. There are plenty of things in the divine service that we can stir up for answering that question. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? So in comparison to what kids see every single day, the divine service, it's weird, it's, but it's structured and it's orderly and it's full of all kinds of things that these kids can ask why about. So I don't know if that sort of answers your question. There's a This is a very deep portion of what it is that we're talking about. Yeah, and I often liken that to, especially what you're talking about there and asking why and it being boring and so forth, uh, I often liken that to sports. I love watching baseball, but I grew up watching baseball with my dad, going to Cardinal baseball games and playing baseball and asking questions why and learning what's going on. And so when I watch a game, I see what's going on, right? The same is not true when it comes to the game of soccer. I never was exposed to that and was never taught. And if you try to put me in front of a soccer game, it is really boring to me because I have no idea what's going on. Now, that doesn't mean that I can't learn, but that's what becomes boring. And so I think this is exactly the point of why those bulletin inserts that you put together are so really helpful is because they help parents really teach the children and answer some of those questions of why. I've had older adults in my dual parish here, uh, as I make use of them, that even say, well, I never knew this stuff. Thanks for putting that in there. And it enlivens what's going on in worship, even for them, that they have things that they can look and see and understand what's going on 
maybe for the first time in 70 years or something like that. Or maybe it was exposed to them at one point and they just didn't know it. And so I think your point is well made here that, you know, the more that we teach this and the more that we involve them in understanding what's going on, the less boring it becomes because then it's just kind of stimulus overload of what's going on. And there's so many things that you can get out of the divine service. And, you know, even if you just get one thing that week, which is just a simple thing that's a routine part of it, hey, you got something out of it. And so you can't say, hey, I got nothing out of church today, which is sometimes what's thrown out there. And that's and that can be that can be the feeling for parents. But they need to know that they as parents are one are upholding what God has established them to be doing. They are getting something out of the service. You're always being fed in worship when God's word is there. But understanding that their job, part of their, a big part of their job now is to raise those little ones up in the Christian faith. Um, You made that point about people coming to you and saying, well, yeah, you know, I never knew that. You know, honestly, when I wrote those things, I put the target on the parents, actually. That was really where it started. I wanted to get this information into the realm of children, but I knew that the parents were probably going to get a whole lot more out of it than the kids were. Because believe it or not, again, it's the false imposition upon the kids that they can't figure this stuff out or that they may not necessarily even know why what's happening is happening. And parents will uh, come to their children and say, you know, what does this mean or what does this mean? And you'd be surprised at how often the kids can communicate that because they get it. They actually do get it. So in the Kids in the Divine Service stuff, I uh, put that section in there for a reason. There's a section down at the bottom called Parents, which the parents are to look at and sort of take something and try to teach this particular lesson to the children. But the parents are learning, I think, just as much, if not more, than the kids when they actually do that. Yeah, and you're right. They do ask some really good questions. I had the experience as I use that. And my general practice here is to gather with the children before service starts and go through the kids in the divine service insert and the parents are sitting out there listening as well. And so it's benefiting them and well, just the rest of the congregation. And it's interesting that even just talking about simple things like the direction a pastor faces sometimes, you know, what's going on, what's being communicated by the direction that the pastor is facing the congregation or facing the altar. And I have one girl, I guess she was about first grade or whatever, noticed where I kind of broke the rules because I usually gave the simple, you know, if I'm facing the congregation, I'm speaking on behalf of God to his people. And if I am facing the altar, I'm speaking on behalf of God's people to him, you know, usually in prayer and so forth. Right. And she brought up the question. She said, well, what are you doing at communion then when you hold up the elements and you're facing the altar? And so it led into a wonderful conversation with her, you know, it just kind of, you know, they really are seeing these things and thinking about these things and saying, well, hang on, that doesn't kind of line up with the simple explanation. And so you can even get into some really deep things and they really can handle it. Yeah. Uh, and I think that makes the point. Well, I, you know, the, the feeling that need to say that it's boring or that, again, it's too difficult. I like to think on the example of my own son, my firstborn son, I have four kids. My wife went through that struggle with all four kids. I mean, the keeping them in the pews, teaching them, working with them, because obviously I'm not sitting in the pews with them. I'm up front. But we learned a lesson very early on with our oldest, and that's that he pretty much popped onto the scene singing the Kyrie. I mean, knowing the tunes, being able to sort of mumble through some of the hymn tunes. And why is that? Because he's, he'd been immersed in it, even when he was in the womb. And when he came out of the womb and he was sitting there in the pews, here's a three, four, five, six-month-old child who's already got it. And as he gets older and is learning to speak and say and move and act, he's doing everything that the adults are doing. He may not necessarily know 
the depth of it just yet. And that's, again, where the parents will come in. It's very important for them to engage. But if there's anything that people should realize about kids, it's that they they do a lot of things really, really badly, okay, like we all do, but they're very, very good at imitating adults. They will know these things. They will hear these things, be immersed in these things. And even as a young age, it will begin for them. And we noticed that again, like I said, my son, he didn't need a hymnal. He didn't need an order of service. He was simply singing along with everything in the liturgy. Why? Because he'd heard it so much. He knew it so well. He was in it every single Sunday. Yeah. And it relates back to what you were saying too, about just even preschoolers, you see this children thrive off a routine and, and the more that they feel that routine and they really get thrown off when things are out of the routine. My son my oldest is two years old now. And yeah, when things are out of routine around the house or with our devotions or at church, you know, it just he'll point it out to you. He makes a big deal of it, actually. And so they really do thrive off that. And parents kind of help set and establish that. And you've brought in a couple of times here where I think you even said when writing the kids into divine service, you put the target right on parents. And certainly, scripturally speaking, that is the main focus. But I think one of the things that we often struggle with in our culture is we kind of wonder, well, whose responsibility is it teaching, right? We kind of even have the mindset, and we talked about this in the the Lutheran education, that in our culture, we kind of give our children up to be educated and trained by other people. And that's not necessarily the biblical understanding that we have, that it is a cooperative effort that the parents are partnering with others in the education of their children, but it's a partnership. They're working with them. Also came out in catechesis, you mentioned the Christian, the importance of the Christian community for the survival of the catechumen. I think that's an excellent thought as well. So as we look for their survival, that they would learn to grow up and confess the faith and remain in the church, that would be a cooperative effort then as well. So what are the roles of parents and pastors and others in doing this? So how do we train our children? What roles do the various people play in the life of training the children? Well, the like we said before, the Christian community plays a big part in it. It matters if a child is struggling, you know, making all kinds of racket and a parent may be struggling with that child. It matters whether or not the surrounding Christian community appreciates that struggle and understands it. So simple things like, again, I don't know, a child getting out of hand a little bit because that's what they do and, and a fellow parishioner turning and looking at the mom with a frown, you know, I mean, that that does not help. That makes the job even harder for the mom or for the dad. So the Christian community plays a part in some, even those little things. But then the Christian community, you expand that, you sort of refocus the lens, you expand that. The Christian community plays a huge part in the sense of we have sponsors, baptismal sponsors, people who promise to step in. God forbid something happens to mom and dad, but those people are there in place to raise that child in the faith and see to the fact that child will receive the Lord's Supper faithfully, will be absolved of their sins faithfully, will hear the proclamation of the gospel, etc. So there's that. There's catechesis on the part of teachers, pastors, you know, we're all a part of that community. But to really sort of work with that question uh, more succinctly, the one place we have to start is looking at the fourth commandment, which you already pointed to. It's the job of the parents. Honor your father and your mother. Now, it sounds like the flow of the commandments from the child to the parent, but Luther's the one who spends a lot of time pointing out in both catechisms how children are to honor parents because parents hold that seat of authority that's been given to them by God. In fact, Luther is the one driving the point home that God chooses the parent. And when it comes to teaching his word, he sets parents right next to himself. They are his representatives. In fact, all earthly authorities born from the office of parents 
so with this in mind, parents are to teach the things of God to the children and children are to receive these things. What we see happening, however, in our day and age, I think, is that parents, and you probably experienced this, parents are sort of, they're terrified of these holy things. They're terrified of these things because one, they don't feel as though they maybe know enough about them, don't feel as though they have the skills to actually teach them, which again goes back to the reason for writing Kids in the Divine Service. They need to have a, a level of comfortability in doing this. But because they don't, they'll often pawn the kids off on things like children's church, not good, or they'll pawn them off. And, and this is not, I don't mean this in a negative sense, but they'll send them off to a confirmation class where the pastor is sort of doing all the work, but then when the kids come home, they don't do anything with them at all. Now, that's not the life of faith in the midst of the Christian family under the headship of the parents. The parents are the ones who are giving that authority over to a Christian school or to a Christian catechist or to a pastor to do what it is that God has charged them with doing in a particular sense. And this all comes out in the confessions. It comes out in Luther's small catechism. He starts off every single one of the 60 parts this way. And then you have the daily prayers, the table of duties. He begins each of those sections with you know, how the head of the family should teach in a simple way. So the authority is there with the parents, and it's crucial, absolutely crucial that the parents know this, that it's their job, it is their job to raise these little ones in the Christian faith. And along with that comes the necessity to teach the vernacular of faith, teach the why we do what we do, teach the words, teach the language, teach the deeper sense to these things. I like how you said there, the authority is with the parents, and then you pointed specifically also to the fourth commandment. And I love what Luther does, especially in the large catechism, but even right just in the simple explanation that he includes pastors and others as a part of that authority as well. That right. Even as we look to society, that we, when we understand the main responsibility is with the parents, but they can partner and they do, and we will partner with others. And so that makes it important that we're kind of working together. And something that jumped into my mind as you were talking there, you, you mentioned others might look at parents who are struggling because kids have wiggles in them. It's just, you know, a part of life. But others might look at it with a frown or something. Or uh, sometimes you see the other end of things too, right? Where folks sitting behind them in the pew, you know, make faces at them and play with them. And that's distracting to the children. And I don't know that that's always all that helpful you know, they're trying to be nice, they're trying to be friendly, and it's sweet and endearing in one sense, I understand it. But at the same time, it's not all that helpful, because it's distracting, and it confesses something to the children, it teaches them something, namely that they're the center of the focus of attention, they're the most important thing going on, right? Whereas I like to encourage others in the pews, I kind of put them in the crosshairs of the kids in the divine service inserts as I use those as well and very intentionally want them listening when I go through that with the kids before a service and so forth, because I want them to understand that the best role that they can play is to model for the children what they should be doing, what they should be growing up in. And that's right, then a help right. to the parents. That's a cooperative effort, right? Absolutely. They need to be modeling this, showing the same reverence in and of themselves that they would expect of the children. And when you, again, I said it before, children are really good at imitating adults. I mean, they're going to watch. They're going to see what's going on. And if you've got someone, again, in a genuine kindness, you know, giving them a smile and making faces or doing whatever they're doing, like you said, that's not, that's nice and it's friendly, but it's not helpful. The children are going to understand a certain aura about that exchange as it's appropriate in the house of God. So you want to be careful to avoid those kinds of things. You don't necessarily want to do that. But like you said, they, they should be modeling this. 
when a child is looking at an adult in the pew right behind them, it'd be good for the adult to maybe fold their hands and raise them up so the child can see and say, look, fold your hands. We're praying or something like that. Everybody working together in the midst of that community to protect and to preserve. Yeah, because once again, even as we relate it to what goes on in society, the yeah, I, I love that line that you said about the survival of the catechumen. It's important for the Christian community to come together like this because the world will certainly have its share of influences and catechesis on our children as well, which is certainly a lot of things that we don't want them being formed in. And so when you have just that hour on Sunday. Sean, that is yeah. more important now than ever before. I mean, we are we are living in a radically individualized society right now where truth is completely and totally subjective where you are absolutely free to believe, to teach, to do, to say, to even be anything that you want without consequence. And so it is so important right now that we teach objective truth and that we teach its language, its motion, its words, its very culture, the culture of God's people in comparison to that. Kids need to be able to know that. I mean, they need to be prepared. They need to be ready. Absolutely. An excellent point. And we're going to go ahead and take a break here, but I want to pick up this idea on the other side of the break, uh, specifically that you said that we want to teach them truth. And in the context of our conversation today, we're talking about training children in the divine service. And uh, so I want to pick up this idea on the other side of the break of how the divine service communicates that truth of our Christian faith to our children in that training. So we're going to go ahead and take a break here. You're listening to Concord Matters on KFUL. Greetings, saints of our Lord. This is Pastor Brady Finner. I am humbled to be the new host of Thy Strong Word every weekday from 11 to noon. We will receive the gift of God's Word in Paul's epistles for our new series. We will travel with Paul from city to city, from letter to letter, as he encourages, exhorts, proclaims, and points us to Christ and Him crucified for your forgiveness. Join us, live or on demand, because God has gifts to give for you. Welcome back to Concord Matters as we continue talking with Pastor Chris Toma about kids in the divine service, training them in the life and liturgy of the church and why that's important. And just before the break, you were giving us a really important thought about how essential, how important, especially at this time it is, that we clearly communicate and catechize our children in the truth. And that's really the whole point of this show, Concord Matters, is that we would learn to confess the truth of our Christian faith as it has been confessed in the Book of Concord from Scripture. And the idea of this episode is that we're saying that the main event, if you will, what we do on Sunday mornings, the Sunday divine service, is the highlight of where we confess the truth of our faith and teach that to our children and why it's so important to teach our children with that and to be participants in that. So go ahead, Pastor Tom, and give us some maybe points, some highlights, or kind of just walk us through uh, whatever you want to do there of how does the truth of the Christian faith get communicated in our divine service that will form and shape our children and adults and just continue to pass on from generation to generation then? Well, the divine service is obviously filled with lots and lots of Christological things, Christocentric things, things that are aiming us constantly toward Christ, who he is, what he's done, 
uh, what he's coming to give us in the midst of holy worship. So just the fact that the kids are in there, they're going to they're going to be getting a lot of this substance. But to sort of hone in on that a little bit, the rites and the ceremonies of the divine service, of the historic divine service, in comparison to maybe the uh, typical understanding of worship outside of the divine service, maybe in other denominations, the rites and the ceremonies of the liturgy are all tools that preach and teach Christ. At every single turn of the facility itself, at every single turn of the worship itself, at every single turn of the ceremonies, the actions of the people around them, the very things that the pastor, uh, the vestments that the pastors are wearing, all of these things are in some way teaching law and gospel. The fact that we are in need of forgiveness, we are in need of rescue, and Christ has come to give us this. And you can pick, you know, anything you want in the divine service. Little words like amen, or the fact that we kneel when we pray or when we confess our sins, the sign or the sign of the cross, you know, the fact that people are making the sign of the cross. I don't know how uh, your church is. Ours, uh, our nave has beautiful stained glass windows and you just look around the room and you see the story of the gospel being told silently through these images. Everything in there is immersing or is to be immersing the kids in the gospel where Christ is the active one and we are, in a sense, the passive ones, first the passive ones. I like to teach this fact to the kids when they say, well, you know, I went to a church, my friend's church, and his pastor, you know, he was wearing a Hawaiian shirt or something like that when he was preaching. And I, I said, well, okay, you know, I'm not going to aim at him or anything. But what I will say is that we wear vestments so that you don't necessarily recognize what I'm wearing, <laughs> you know, what I like to do. Those vestments are there, in a sense, to cover Pastor Toma and emit to you Christ. The liturgy is carrying me along. Christ is the one at work here, and I am passive in it in that sense. I am simply a tool in God's hands to uh, administer to you that which he would have me administer. But there again in the vestments, and that, that's not, uh, of course, the only reason for the vestments, but that's a big one, and that's an opportunity that's aiming the children at Christ. And parents can teach these kids as they're walking along, as they're worshiping, as they're going along in this to keep their eyes open for every little detail about all of this and how the gospel is being proclaimed through it. Yeah, absolutely. And just even simple things like you say, you know, I like to get the kids going with, you know, when we have a processional and so forth, I talk about it as a parade. And of course, you know, kids love parades and, mm -hmm. and those sorts of things. And we talk about what is it communicating when at the beginning of this parade, this processional we hold up the crucifix, the cross of Christ that leads us in. And, right. Right? and everything just communicates and confesses Christ all the way throughout. You mentioned stained glass windows. And again, all of these things that, you know, maybe if the pastor's not hitting it with a sermon that Sunday, you know, and so forth, that you can drift off and see those stained glass windows. And wow, guess what? You didn't miss anything. You still got Christ confessed to you. Now, repent of the fact that you've not paid attention to your pastor's sermon, <laughs> but... Uh, right, right. Uh, yeah. Well, you were distracted by his Hawaiian shirt. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, no, I think you're dead on with that. I think that's very important. You know, where the humans can fail, the wonderful thing about the divine service, about the liturgy, about the naves in which we worship, they help teach this. You know, they help, again, even the paraments, you know, the things hanging on the altar, the, the lectern, the pulpit, these things are silent proclaimers that we can see. And after the divine service or before the divine service, I encourage this in that kids in the divine service in those writings for parents to take the kids up to these things, put them in close contact with them, let them 
you know, make sure you wipe the soggy Cheerios off their fingers before they touch the pyramid or the frontal or something like that. But let them see what it's made of, feel the cloth. Go over and look at the windows and point at the particular images and describe and tell them the story. All of these things are, again, serving that purpose. Yeah, play with the water in the baptismal font and tell them that when that water is connected with the Word of God, that makes you a child of God, right? You know, just just simple things like that. Mm -hmm. And I think also relates to another point that I wanted to bring in that, you know, a lot of times, you know, especially when it comes to some of the aspects of the liturgy, some of the hymns and things that we sing in our church and so forth, of course, we beautifully confess the faith in our hymns and the sermon and things like that. Our culture seems really concerned with things that are developmentally appropriate for children, you know, that everything has to come down to their level. And you mentioned children's church or children's messages earlier as well. And I think some of that came in with that idea to do things developmentally appropriate. So the idea is, is that the liturgy and hymns and sermon and, and what's going on in church is too difficult for children and thus not engaging to them. How would you respond to that? What would your encouragement be to someone who's kind of wrestling with, my child isn't getting this here? Well, again, I would go back to some things that we sort of planted the seeds for before. Yeah, we know it's hard. It's not easy at all. But how, how would you expect your child to learn the English language if they are never around it, you know, if they're never immersed in it. They have to have some sort of a platform, some sort of a foundation in in which they're beginning. If you just gave up on the fact that your child couldn't pronounce a word right and then stopped talking to them, that would be horrible. You shouldn't be doing that. Now, they they might not know the deeper meanings of what's going on there, but they can't go any further into that until they learn the foundations. So you're going to have to stick it out. You're just going to have to stick it out. But that's a good thing. Again, we don't want to take our kids and separate them from the worshiping community. And there are plenty of developmental reasons for that if we want to talk in that sense. There's plenty of pedagogical reasons if we want to talk in that sense. Well, for example, a children's message, a children's sermon. We don't do those here at Our Savior. I I do something a little differently. Um, The kids, uh, I encourage and I teach constantly that the kids belong there. They belong in the house of God. They belong with their parents. They belong at the foot of the altar with their Savior. That's where they should be. And whatever sermon is being preached to the adults is being preached to the kids, and they should be a part of that. When we take them out of that, we are saying to them that they don't belong, and we put them in this other context, we're saying that they don't belong. And that's that's not helpful. We want to keep them there in the midst of God's people. Now, again, they might not understand the logistics to all of this or what we may be thinking there, but they're going to learn the foundations of everything that they need to be learning. And that's going to lead eventually to the places where they can learn the deeper meanings of what's going on. And parents are going to, God willing, going to be helping walk them along just as they would help them learn the English language or they would potty train them or they would do these different things. You need to do this. Okay, we get it. But here's why you need to be doing this. They use definite articles in their sentences, you know, little kids do, but they don't understand why a definite article would be incredibly important when it comes to communication. We don't know why we're making the sign of the cross, maybe, but we can actually make those connections to the deeper meanings, teaching them, well, that's where it was first made on you at your baptism. That's not something we're trying to do to gain God's favor, but rather it's something that's reminding us. It's something that's reminding them of where Christ first claimed them as his own, right there in the waters, right there in that font where you see people sticking their fingers in and making the sign of the cross, or you hear the bubbling sound from the font. And look at all the people doing this. 
so we're leading them along and we don't want to, again, we don't want to impose on them things that are foreign to them. We don't want to divide them from the community. We want to keep them there where they will learn the language. It's first its foundations, and then we can continue on and go into the deeper meanings. I think that's a really excellent point and well stated and connects in with something that came out in our Why Concord Matters for Catechesis as well, where Pastor Phil Boo brought up the idea from Luther himself that said, you know, first give them the language. And, and that connects in with what you're saying, right? You know, just this is how you teach the English language to them, right? They start to learn words. Again, I have a two-year-old at home. He's using the words. He has no idea what they mean, right? And then Luther says, later give them the meaning. And that's part of the training. Right. And that's what exactly happens with participation in the divine service. Don't take them out. Give them the words. And that's what you're doing in the divine service. Later, they'll get the meaning or you add on it along. And so I don't do children's messages either and sometimes get some heat for that. As happens, again, in our culture, we just kind of have a different mindset of what it is to teach our children. And so I often say the divine service is the best children's message we have, right? Oh, yeah. And then that's why I meet with the children before the service is that's where I begin to give them some of the meaning and reinforce that over the years and encourage the parents to be reinforcing that and doing what you encourage in those bulletin inserts. Take the children up and see these things, you know, and touch them and give them some of that meaning. And that that'll begin to sink in, much like teaching our children the language that they'll speak in life, whether it be the English language or any other language, right? Right. I started to tell you before that almost why I don't do children's messages, and I sort of unpack that a little bit. Here's why I don't do it. I think it's a bad idea to separate the kids, but I do. There is something that I do, and it sort of happened organically. My youngest, my daughter, Evelyn, and then, uh, well, actually, three of my four kids started doing it. After the divine service, as with the processional hymn, we follow the cross and the torchbearers and the clergy make their way out. And I would stand at the entrance to the nave. And it started that my three of my four kids would run over to me because I don't get to sit with them during the service. And they love being with their parent during worship. So they would come over to me and we would sing the stanzas together of that final hymn. Well, it got to be, it it was not long before my own children sort of started a movement in the congregation where now I'm standing at the back of the nave and parents let their little children run out down the aisle, down to me. And what we do is the service is done. We're singing the final hymn and nothing's happening up in front in some sense for a show, but it's all happening right there at the, between the nave and the narthex. I've got all these kids gathered around me and we're singing the final stanzas of this hymn. And as we're singing them, what it has become is an opportunity to catechize, to teach them what we're saying in those hymns. One, that they are there with their pastor, who they are sometimes seeing from a distance in the service, but now they're right there next to him. They're singing along with him, someone they see standing in the stead and by the command of Christ. And he's telling them why we're saying what we're saying. Why is that little triangle there? Why is everybody standing when we see that triangle? Well, that's aiming us at understanding who the Holy Trinity is. And we talk through these things. It's become a wonderful, wonderful opportunity that I have to say, you know, I when I first started, I caught a little bit of flack for not wanting to do children's sermons. They were never done in the congregation before I came. Well, that's not true. They were many years ago, but they had already ceased and desisted by the time I had arrived. But there was a little bit of pushback for me to do them. I was the young guy and I should be doing them. And I didn't want to. I thought it was a bad idea. Uh, and so I just never did and caught a little bit of flack. But this happening at the end of the divine service is certainly so much more appropriate, I think, than something like that. The kids are not set apart in the midst of the worshiping community, in the midst of the worshiping time as being different from everybody else. 
But here we are after the benediction into the processional hymn and the parents are happy to let their kids run to their pastor and have this relationship right there in the back where we sing together, we teach together. And it's only for a few minutes. And then we close with a, a brief benediction and I send them right back to mom and dad. And it works so wonderfully. It's quite a nice thing to do every single Sunday. Yeah, absolutely. And really also confesses something about the nature of our Christian community then too as well. That's nice how it began kind of organically with your own children. You said just wanting to be with their dad, which is beautiful. But then, and it's one of the words that we've kind of lost as American Lutherans of calling a pastor a father, you know, we see that as very Roman Catholic, but that you would see reflected in that, that, hey, this is your spiritual father. And it's good to go spend time with him as well and to learn from him as parents are gathering together and partnering with you in teaching their children, right? Right, right. Yeah, just beautiful. What other pedagogical benefits does this serve of training them in the service rather than taking them out of the service? You started to mention some of that earlier as well. Well, I think, again, you're, the focus being that you're teaching them who they are in Christ. The liturgy is already doing that in a wonderful way. It's already there and accessible to you. And now you need only to mine it and know that the kids are already fertile soil for learning it. Kids are that way, whether they're the most pious child on the face of the earth or the child who is at his most uh, insane. They're already a soil that's ready to do this. And again, there's plenty there. So for example, something my wife would do when the kids would get a little bit antsy, she had already primed them for paying attention in the service for particular things. So let's say maybe they came in that Sunday and the goal was to listen for, I don't know, listen for the word amen. You know, where where are we saying the word amen? Maybe after the service, as you're listening for this, maybe you can tell me how many times we said it. Where did we say it? Well, do you know what it means? Now, after we said it, after we said it at the end of, I don't know, uh, this particular collect, boy, that word amen, now that we know what it means, really makes those words very vibrant, doesn't it? Now we understand that well, we're saying, yes, yes, this is certain and sure, and we know God is going to hear us. She wouldn't bring them in and necessarily feed them Cheerios or give them Hot Wheel cars to roll around or even coloring books. She would give them an assignment where they were to be listening and paying attention. And it worked beautifully. I mean, it was something where the kids were able to focus. Not every child is maybe able to hone in in that sense, but it's certainly something that parents can be doing. They can stay very simple or they can get a little bit more complicated if they want. But the divine service already itself is this wonderful, verdant pasture of all kinds of things that the parents can draw their kids' attention to so that they learn little bits of it along the way. Absolutely. And some great, very practical aspects there to kind of give some tools to parents in training children. And as we talked about earlier as well, even others sitting around of ways that they can help parents in that training. So we really see the benefit of the whole Christian community kind of getting this mindset and approaching it this way. Uh, Just being mindful of our time, there's a couple other things I want to hit with you. And one is we talked very positively kind of the aspects, the importance of parents training their children and the benefits that that brings and and forms and shapes them in their identity in Christ and wonderfully, beautifully stated on all of that. There was one other side of that, kind of the negative, if you will, that potentially we have maybe some folks that are listening to this episode who take a look at it and they say, you mentioned Proverbs 22, 6 earlier, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he's old, he will not depart from it. And I often say one of the more difficult sides to that is, is that sometimes we're not always faithful in training up a child in the way that they should go. 
And maybe there's some folks that take a look and they say, you know, maybe my children have walked away from the church because I didn't train them up in this and took them out and so forth. What would be your pastoral words to some folks that maybe are saddened and beat down by their failures in training their children and and a, a way forward for them and where you would direct them from here then? Well, I suppose the first thing that would come to mind would be an absolution for such sadness. I mean, there's an obvious an obvious sorrow for something they feel as though they have failed in. And that's not something I'm sure you too, Sean, have heard these things from adults who have said, you know, my son or my daughter is now in college and they want nothing to do with the Christian faith because I didn't necessarily take the time to show them the depth or I didn't even give the impression that it was important to me as an adult. I maybe didn't feel as though I was skilled enough or I was terrified of the whole idea. Well, the one thing I suppose I would say right off the top of my head is, first of all, the Lord forgives us for these things. And second of all, the child is maybe living their life in opposition to these things. And yet our Lord's word is very clear to us in Matthew chapter five, we are salt and we are light and they will see your good deeds and give glory to the father. It's hard to argue that our witness to them in our own faith, life, and practice is not going to have some sort of an effect. So all is not lost. We still have the opportunity as adults when we interact with those children, when they maybe bring their families to our home and they're staying with us on a weekend, Sunday morning rolls around and they're going to get up and have breakfast and family time by themselves. And they say, where are you going as you're coming out, ready to go to church, you know, and invite them, you know, continuing forward in faith and emitting that light to them by way of your deeds is also very powerful. And I dare say that it could be cyclical in the sense that as they grow older and as their own children grow older, it does become quite natural for us to look back on our lives and see the things we thought were important but really weren't. And as we grow older, we recognize those things that are, and we want to impress those things upon the lives of our own children. So I don't know if that is maybe the best direction to go, but it's God willing. It's something that preaches Christ's comfort into their hearts and reminds them, be faithful and trust by your, not only by your faithfulness to Christ that you're going to show them that, but there will be those opportunities for you to season your speech with the salt of the gospel with these children who I'm assuming, by the way you frame the conversation, were there as little ones, have been baptized into Christ. His name has been placed on them. He's made a promise to pursue them. They are his own, and we trust him for that. So we would bring that comfort. Yeah, and I think that's a wonderfully pastoral response, you know, receiving the absolution, also living in repentance. I mean, those things in and of themselves also confess the faith that we seek to live out in our divine service as well, that we come in confessing our sins, receiving that absolution, and being directed by God's Word and how to live and how to reflect that to the world that, as you even mentioned your son, you know, just starts belting out the Kyrie and things like that, right? You know, that that becomes a part of our life. And that's going to influence and impact others around us as well, right? Right, right. It will. Yeah. With just a couple minutes left here, go ahead and give us your wrap-up thoughts. You know, there's there's a lot going on here, and there's a lot to talk about when we talk about training our children in the divine service. And again, the nature of this show is that we see this as a matter of our Christian confession. And so give us your parting thoughts of why does Concord matter for kids in the divine service? Well, I suppose my parting words would be, parents, be encouraged. It's not hopeless. It's not a hopeless prospect. 
Um, it's hard. It's a challenge to have our kids in there and recognizing at the same time that there are so many things pulling at us from beyond the borderlands of worship. We have sports, we have activities, we have social settings where their friends are not going and you know they're staying home or having sleepover Saturday night, staying up all night, and now your kid doesn't want to go to church the next day. I mean, we've got all of these kinds of things. And then you add to it again what we sort of touched on before, that we are living in a world right now that is completely and totally radically individualized. I used that term before, where it would seem that people are parsing out various opinions as truth. And we know the significance of Christian truth, of, of who Christ is and what he's done and how that is that's our all in all and everything. Everything is Christological through the lens of the Christian faith. And so I suppose my parting words are stick with it, stick with it and do what you can as God's people to understand Concord matters in the sense of the community itself, how here is your Christian family, here is your Christian church. And the goal is to remain faithful to Christ and to raise up those generations beneath and after you with that vernacular of faith so that they would remain steadfast in that. It's not only mandated, but it comes with wonderful promises of the Lord, wonderful promises. That is so well confessed. Thank you, Pastor Chris Katoma. It's been a great pleasure having you join us for Concord Matters today, discussing with us why Concord Matters for training our children in the faith through the life and liturgy of the church. Absolutely well confessed, and may we continue to be faithful in our confession as we live that out as the community of Christ and teaching our children and raising them up in it as well. Amen. And thank you also, dear listener, for stopping by today. And until next time, keep confessing, church.